0: It seems unbelievable that prison could be a healthcare highlight in someone's life, but the numbers don't lie, they just hide an uglier reality.
1: Alice has a son who's been to jail, an ex who is currently in jail, and she's been to jail herself once before. She knows the New South Wales prison health system quite well and has nothing good to say about it. Her son was in prison for two years and she says he received no treatment whatsoever for his severe eczema.
2: He's also got a, um, a, a skin condition eczema. It's pretty bad. It makes his, um, his legs and that... Uh, it's like large scales of black crust
0: mm.
2: all over his body. And While he was in jail, he, he was in there for two years and his, his skin was absolutely appalling. Like it was really, really bad, so he's had no treatment whatsoever.
0: Alice's ex has spent over 25 years in prison. He was diagnosed with a hernia three years ago, and is still waiting to have it removed. It could burst at any time, she says.
2: He, he's pretty violent, he's a violent sort of criminal, um, he's, uh, his mental health should have been looked at long, long ago, and he's just gotten worse over the years and he's only ever been out for, like, a, a year or so at the max his whole life, yeah. since he was about 11 years old. But I, um yeah, I don't really understand why that sort of wasn't assessed along the way in there. He spent so much time in there. Um, also, yeah, he's got a hernia, which hasn't been treated. He has, he's called me a couple of times where he's been taken down to Sydney Um, for appointments. And this is years after they found found out that he had it. And he was supposed to have an operation and then all of a sudden he was sent back and they said something about it was, it could burst while he's traveling or or something along those lines.
0: And yeah, nothing's been done since. And that was a year ago, I think. Alice was in custody herself in Newcastle for a few days.
2: And there wasn't even a
0: cake of soap.
2: So, um, yeah, it wasn't very hygienic, and the uh, the prison guards, they look through you as if you're not even human. I was sort of poked with a baton to move along the hallways, and that it was very
1: degrading. This is the Medical Republic. I'm Felicity Nelson. And I'm Francine Crimmins. This week, we're trying to figure out something that has been really puzzling us.
0: So you heard from Alice just now that the prison healthcare system in New South Wales leaves a lot to be desired. And the experience of prison is pretty soul-destroying.
1: And that's not her real name, by the way. Uh, We've changed it for privacy reasons. But she's not alone in giving Australian prisons a zero-star rating for healthcare.
0: 12 other family members of prisoners who I contacted through Facebook support networks told me that jail had a profoundly negative effect on their loved one's health. So there were reports of prisoners in severe pain being made to wait weeks for medical attention. Some prisoners who were extremely mentally unwell weren't getting the right
1: medication. It's absolutely awful. Uh, But given what I know about prison underfunding, unfortunately, I'm not that surprised.
0: Yeah, me neither. Um, what is surprising is that there's a report which was published last year by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare that claims that prison is actually good for people's health and well-being. How
1: could that be the case?
0: I know, when I saw it, I just couldn't believe it. it seems really incongruous. So this report was looking nationally at prisoners across Australia, and it found that only 15% of people reported a deterioration in their mental or physical health while in jail. So that's a really tiny proportion of people. Yeah. Also, around 40% of the people surveyed said that their mental health improved while they were in prison, which I thought was surprising. Um, and over half of people said their physical health improved while they were, were imprisoned.
1: prison. Those statistics really seem to contradict uh, the personal narratives that we've just heard at the top of the show. What's going on here?
0: Yeah, so I took this question to a few different people. So I spoke with a politician, an advocate for prisoner rights, and a prison GP.
1: Okay, so should we be here from the politician first?
0: Yeah, well, I only managed to get one politician to talk to me. Um, I couldn't get the Liberal government in New South Wales or the opposition to chat. Um, but I did manage to get in touch with David Shoebridge, and we met up at Parliament House in Sydney to chat about this issue. He's a Greens politician, and he makes it his job to take meetings with the family members of prisoners'.
3: Parents, uh, when you talk to parents, and if they, particularly, have got a young boy in jail or, a, or, or their daughter in jail, um, it can be quite heartbreaking, and they can't they can't understand how it is that the system is so dehumanising and brutal. I mean, parents, if they you know they know their child's done something <coughs> wrong, they know they've been um, sent to jail, they expect punishment, but they they they're very often very surprised at how utterly indifferent the system is to rehabilitation, how utterly brutalising um, the experience for their children is. And it's the same with partners.
1: But when
0: I put these numbers to Mr Shoebridge, he didn't skip a beat.
3: It's in large part explained by the cohort of people that go into prison. Um, normally you don't find yourself going from a highly stable, engaging, well-paid job with a you know, strong family support straight into prison. Um, um, most people with those that kind of stability in their life don't engage in criminal undertaking, don't get caught to the attention of the police. The majority of people who find themselves in jail come from already quite dysfunctional family backgrounds often chronic poverty, chronic homelessness, major mental health concerns um, and so um, and often living a, a life that is full of um, uh, large degrees of uncertainty whether it's about where their next meal comes from, about whether or not they're going to have shelter next week, um, about their personal relationships. And for, um, for tragically, for a, a fair proportion of people who go to jail, that's the first time they have stability in their lives. I mean, it's, it's a, a particularly brutal and awful form of stability, but at least they're guaranteed to have shelter. At least they're guaranteed to have um, meals for the next week. Um, and particularly if you're dealing with, quite chronic mental health conditions um, not having to be responsible for planning all of your future and having it taken care of or, albeit in a you know an appallingly brutal institution not having to take care of and plan for all your future um, can actually provide a, a degree of stability that they people haven't had out in the, um, the out in the as a member of the general public and um, and that's why too often you'll hear about you'll, you'll speak to people who have maybe gone to jail multiple times and they haven't been and, and then eventually having broken the cycle of what was driving them into jail they will say on being released from jail the first few times they get released with a clear plastic bag with whatever possessions and clothing they had when they got put into jail um, no secure home no job um, fractured family connections and within a week of being out you know, finally released from jail, some of them will just deliberately reoffend in the most obvious way in order to be put back into prison again, or at least they'll have some stability in their life. So um, I don't think those figures are surprising, but I, I think they, they, they highlight um, just how inappropriate it is so often to be dealing with people in the criminal justice system when we should be dealing with them in society. And giving them the stability and support they need in societies um, before they go to jail. Mm.
1: Interesting. And Felicity, when you were researching this area, did you happen to come across any prisoners or families of the prisoners who described that experience as in prison of being, I guess, comparatively safe when compared to life on the outside? Yeah, so there were two women
0: who had a story that was like that. One from WA said her daughter had suffered from mental health issues throughout most of her life. uh, But after spending 11 months in jail, she had improved. Um, So this woman said the structure and the access to education in prison and the lack of responsibilities helped her daughter immensely. Um, So she said her daughter is now more balanced and confident. And a woman from Victoria said her partner's mental health had positive changes since being imprisoned. Uh, So he was on work cover on the outside and a couple of psychologists had said that he'd needed a lot of treatment before going back to work. But as she described it, the caseworker kept trying to get a different answer from a different psychologist so that they could push him back in the workforce. And so he managed to get help while he was in the inside that he couldn't get on the outside. And this woman said that her partner had made leaps and bounds On the inside and that help is there for prisoners who really seek it
1: so in that story you just told it seems like some individuals actually see prison as a helpful experience is that right
0: yeah which is kind of terrible um when you think about what it's actually like in prison in new south
1: wales at least can you just paint a little bit of a picture for us felicity what is it like uh living inside a new south wales prison
0: Well, it's a pretty psychologically toxic experience for quite a lot of people. So in New South Wales, prisoners are stripped of any normal social support and forced to spend 16 hours a day inside a small prison cell with up to three other inmates. Um, So in this prison cell, there's a toilet in a corner and there's no real privacy. Um, New South Wales prisoners get to stretch their legs for about eight hours a day, but that's all. So you can imagine that's a bit of a tinderbox for fist fights. So I managed to get Brett Collins on the phone briefly for this story. He's the coordinator of um, a human rights advocacy group, Justice Action, and he also has lived experience of prison.
4: The idea that people who are in prison get a, a, a health benefit um, uh, from that experience, why that idea is wrong, there are whole range of reasons. And, and it's most... most um, uh, uh, the most important thing is that they don't any don't have the support, the social support that they normally have around them. So they don't have uh, the family support, community support, access to community services, choice of health services that um, uh, they normally have around them. Now, um, and they don't have they don't have the freedom to um, uh, um, to express their concerns. They are isolated in cells um, uh, for. Um, now, New South Wales um, is the longest period of any uh, uh, state in Australia. Being locked in a cell with somebody who is a stranger, right, so normally you have, you have either with two or three people in a cell, right, so you have a, a period of um, say 16 hours, 16 hours in a cell. Um, that means that's a very unnatural situation. And so, with another two people beside you, you've become bored, you become listless, you, you don't get the exercise you need.
0: He also said that although smoking is now banned in New South Wales prisons, around three quarters of inmates are still itching for a cigarette. So, a hypodermic needle is a valuable commodity in prison, and if a prisoner manages to get hold of one, it can be shared around between hundreds of prisoners. And while some prison health networks toot their hepatitis C treatment programs as a major success, this drug dependency usually undercuts any gains.
4: So it's not nicotine anymore. People who were previously using nicotine can't use it anymore. So now the only thing that's available is injecting and injecting with heroin or, you know, or it's ice or it's whatever, whatever you've got. You know, or it can be sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's mite.
0: So that gives you some insight into the kind of dangerous environment we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, and if we go back to that report, given how terrible this environment can be, it's interesting that the report seems to find that it could actually improve people's physical and mental health.
0: Yeah, it's quite strange. And really, it's an indictment on community services. Yeah, even a terrible, dangerous environment inside prison that's psychologically toxic for a lot of people... Is still better than what they were, than the life they were leading on the outside.
1: And what's more shocking about it is that we are taking people from these incredibly dire social situations in our world where they're really struggling and we're putting them in a situation that is also, I would say, terrible. Um, and they're actually people that are in dire need of help.
0: Yeah, so the prison population isn't made up of you know, people who had equal opportunities in life and then just did something wrong and ended up behind bars. It's actually, as we all know, the most disadvantaged group in society. Um, So, you know, the statistics are endless, but over half of prisoners were expelled from school and 20% dropped out before year six. So you can see there a lot of literacy would be missing, a lot of health literacy, a lot of understanding of the world would be lost if you hadn't attained... A lot of um, education. Um, And the majority of of prisoners left school before year 10 in New
1: South Wales. The health of prisoners in New South Wales, as I understand, is about the poorest in the country. So from what I've seen, 63% of the New South Wales prison population have received either a mental health diagnosis... Um, or two-thirds enter prison with a daily substance use disorder, which really goes back to what you were saying before about the desperation to attain drugs on the inside.
0: And about 10% of the prison population were homeless um, before they came to prison, Um, and about 17% have an intellectual disability.
1: Yeah, and I was just reading something the other day which was estimating the amount of people in the prison system in Australia who have traumatic brain injury that goes undiagnosed, and for some will never go diagnosed unless they get um, parole and they're back in the community and they happen to see someone who can diagnose it properly. So, Felicity, you interviewed a GP who works in the prison system. What did they have to say about the report?
0: Yeah, so I spoke with Associate Professor Penny Abbott. Um, so she's a GP who is uh, affiliated with Western Sydney University. She's a researcher, but she's also a GP who works inside women's prisons. Um, so she gave me a little bit of context um To the report, which was quite helpful. So one of the reasons there are so many issues in prisons is because the healthcare system inside the facility is run by the state or territory government. So this means that prisoners don't have access to Medicare or PBS subsidies because those are all funded by the Commonwealth government.
3: So this causes, uh, you
0: know, a a few problems actually because, for example, some of the medications that you might want to access. Your patients are very expensive
4: um, to the prison, and yet would be available to that patient if they're in the community through a PBS.
1: So, how does that play into prisoners' access to care if they can't receive MBS rebates?
0: Yeah, so it means that um, the prisons sometimes, like, I mean, they won't just not give someone a medication but what they might do is uh, have a delay or a shortage, or they might just use a slightly different medication. Um, and so some of the stories I heard on Facebook from families and it, like, it was a bit confusing to figure out what was going on, but it sounded like prisoners weren't getting access to the correct medication, or that they were being given you know, slightly different meds to the ones that they were expecting. Um, There's just like
1: sort of holes And from what I understand, it's also very hard to see a specialist while you're in prison.
0: Yeah, so the system is run by in-house nurses um, and then part-time GPs come to see patients on site in jail. Um, But to see a specialist or an allied health professional, prisoners have to be transported to a local hospital normally. Um, and that means you need guards and added security. Um, it's expensive. It's labor intensive. And you also can't tell prisoners when they're about to leave prison to go to hospital because it, it's an escape risk. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of issues going on there. And you, and I heard some stories of um, health authorities inside prisons having to make decisions that were often really strange. So they might have three prisoners who are really unwell. One has a fractured uh, leg, one has severe diabetes <laughs> that's um, not being managed well. Another one has maybe lupus. They have to make a decision on who's going to be taken to the hospital that week. And the person I was speaking to said that's kind of an unfair decision to be making. Um, you has got three really unwell patients, but if you only have the resources to take two, you know, someone misses out. So it's stuff like that where that wouldn't really normally
1: happen. And if these prisoners are seeing specialists in the public system, it could take months uh, before their appointment comes around and who knows if they'll even still be in the system by then.
0: Yeah, and Professor Abbott was saying this, so she'd do a whole lot of investigations on a prisoner and then um, she'd get them in to see a specialist and then they'd be released before they actually got around to that appointment, um, which is, yeah, pretty sad. She said it was a a bit of a waste. Um, Yeah, so it's not like there are not enough GPs or primary healthcare practitioners in prison so there's about 16 full-time equivalent GPs in New South Wales prisons which I checked it's a similar density to the
1: general community yeah but it's just that extra step of getting to a specialist that's really hard and when people do finally get out of prison do we know anything about the attrition rate of them actually hooking in with a local GP and continually getting medical help
0: Yes, it's, it's pretty low. Um, researchers describe this as medical homelessness. It's this idea that in prison you're not getting all of the care and then when you get to the community it's fragmented again. Um, and Professor Abbott was saying that in her research some prisoners don't want to take the prison paperwork, the healthcare paperwork that they got in prison, to their GP on the outside
1: because they're scared of stigma. And if you're in prison for, let's say, 15 years, when you get out, you have so much administration to do. Um, You know, if you had a driver's license, the thing that comes to my mind is that your Medicare card would probably be expired by that stage. And so there's actually quite a lot of red tape before you could even go and see a bulk billing GP Mm -hmm. in your community. Um, It would just be another list of things that you have to get through. And some people wouldn't see that as worth it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's another negative effect of prison is that you're being taken out of society. So a lot of things in society have progressed and you have missed out. So I was talking to one of these uh, family members of a prisoner and she was saying, you know, someone who's been in prison for almost their whole life. When they came out one time, they were just shocked to see smartphones. They'd never seen a smartphone. The last phone they'd seen had, like, that little snake game on it. (laughs) And that was their whole experience of sort of... Um, mobile technology can you imagine if that was your expectation and then you're suddenly confronted with iPads and
1: you just yeah.
0: everything's moved on and you and just...
1: we already know it's hard enough for people that used to be in prison to get employment it's a whole other thing to even I guess skill yourself up on the latest technology to even
0: yeah just be eligible for employment in the first place yeah So it looks like this report was saying or trying to suggest that prison can have some health benefits. Um, But as we've seen, it's not necessarily a good news story. And as one final point, which I think is quite interesting, the um, ban on smoking in prisons doesn't even help. So I heard from Mr Collins that some research was done showing that the percentage of prisoners who took up smoking again after their sentence ended was around 100%. (laughs) And not just that, but the average time between leaving prison and picking up a cigarette was about ten minutes. <laughs> no way. Yeah.
1: I'm not really that surprised though, if like you know how they say absence makes the heart grow fonder?
0: I can imagine if someone's possibly taken something away from you that you love, you're gonna go straight back to it. But that's probably before they even called their family. Like that's how much they're craving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Medical Republic podcast is a program for curious GPs. I'm Felicity Nelson.
1: And I'm Francine Crimmins. Thanks for listening.